The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran okay we all know what it takes to get healthy right lots of beans and salads three liters of water a day eight hours of sleep a night 40 minutes of cardio, weight training at least twice a week. But what if that doesn't work for everybody? What if we have individual differences that could mean that a few tweaks might take us from feeling okay to feeling amazing? Well, this is where India's time-honored health system, Ayurveda, really shines. And today, you're going to learn about Ayurveda if it's new to you and get deeper if you have some familiarity already. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran. And if we are not yet acquainted, well, gosh, I've spent most of my life writing books, notably Main Street Vegan, The Love-Powered Diet, Creating a Charmed Life, And now I head up an amazing, if I do say so myself, because it's not just me, (laughs) training program that um, trains committed vegans to be certified vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. That's called Main Street Vegan Academy. And you can find out more at MainStreetVegan.net. You can also subscribe there to our blog and our newsletter, or you can subscribe Lickety Split by texting the word vegan to 55444. That is V-E-G-A-N texted to 55444. So welcome all listeners, newcomers and long timers. I hope that you are even half as excited about today's broadcast as I am because I am personally fascinated by this topic and enchanted by my guest. She is Dr. Sarah Kuchera, a licensed chiropractic physician and Ayurvedic practitioner, yoga teacher, and entrepreneur. She founded Sage Center for Yoga and Healing Arts in Kansas City, Missouri, and is author of the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. Welcome, Sarah Kuchera. 
Thank you. So nice to be with you. It is wonderful to be with you. And I just need to tell the listeners really quickly how we connected, because I think it's really magical. I wandered into an independent bookstore, which is kind of a miracle in and of itself that they still exist. And this is one of those kind of snooty bookstores where they mostly do fiction and narrative nonfiction. And they had one table for the kind of books I read. (laughs) which are the, I believe the New York Times calls them how-to self-help and miscellaneous. And there was this beautiful book, the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook, Holistic Healing Rituals for Every Day and Season. And it even has one of those little um, ribbon bookmarks in it. I mean, what could I do? (laughs) So I bought the book. I loved it so much. I got the Audible edition as well. And one week later at the uh, national conference of the American Society of Journalists and Authors, I met a wonderful literary agent who told me that one of the authors that he represents is Dr. Sarah Kuchera. So now he's my agent too, which I think means we're kind of sisters. So um, absolutely lovely to to have you here. I'm going to call you Dr. Sarah because I trip over your last name a little bit. So... You're a lovely young woman from Iowa, and you became a chiropractor, which makes perfect sense because chiropractic is also from Iowa. But then you focused your practice and built your reputation on this ancient healthcare system from India. How did all that happen? It does sound a little strange that someone from the Midwest would become so enchanted by a practice from India. But the evolution of it all, I think, was quite natural. And it's actually that I came to yoga first because I was studying exercise science. I had actually, at this point, already been working in the field of exercise science, um, in fact, in corporate wellness for a while. And, you know, when you are in that field, you kind of explore different types of exercise and especially like group fitness kinds of classes. And... I had been invited to take a class with a friend, um, which was a yoga class. And I immediately, you know, I loved it. I loved the idea that this wasn't something that was just for my body. I loved the way that I felt different mentally after the class as well as physically. And so truthfully, this all began with yoga. I then went on to chiropractic college and really quickly realized in chiropractic college that my yoga background was so helpful because I was embodying the information that I was learning from my professors and really felt like I was able to get a much better grasp because of my background in both movement and in yoga in general. So I knew when I graduated from from chiropractic college that I had to incorporate the two practices together. But what I didn't know is that I would then discover through means of yoga, it's sister science, Ayurveda. And because Ayurveda is a very complete system of medicine, and because I had already studied medicine via chiropractic college, this was such a natural bridge for me between my two current practices of chiropractic and yoga. So I immediately became interested. And when I'm really interested in something, it's kind of a, I'm, I'm all in. And I found every means I could to study on my own and then began to study more formally um, 
which then sort of fast forwards us to today where I have my master's degree um, and a center that we work with both chiropractic and yoga and other services as well. But at the heart of everything in that center is Ayurveda. And as you mentioned, I also have a book with a pretty little bookmark. <laughs> it, it is a wonderful book. I mean, I'm just such a book fan, but I know that one is really speaking to me when I read it more than once. And and yours is, is one of those. And I must say that Dr. Deepak Chopra's Perfect Health, which I think came out in 1990, I've probably read annually almost ever since that time, because this is such an in-depth science. There's so much to learn. You could study it for a lifetime, or since it comes from the Vedic traditions, I could probably say more than one lifetime. And yet you can learn enough in one day. And, and I think people will learn enough in this hour that they can actually start applying some of these wonderful ideas. So explain to us in, in the simplest way you know how <laughs> what Ayurveda is. Mm-hmm. Ayurveda, I think, is first important to recognize that it is a system of medicine. And as you said, it originates in India. And to clarify that because it comes from India doesn't mean that it can only be practiced in India. It doesn't mean that you have to only eat Indian spices and Indian food um, because that somehow becomes a misconception. But this is meant to be applicable for everyone. And the reason why is that it is based in nature. And I should also mention that Ayurveda is considered to be the oldest sustained form of medicine. So it you know, is very old, over 5,000 years old. And is still practiced and actually still researched today. So it's not sometimes when we think of something that's old that it doesn't change, but that's not true. We still have research and things are um, still evolving within the system as well. So it's a system that's based in nature. And what I mean by that is that it truly recognizes how we as humans are integrated into both our environment, such as the room that I'm in right now, but nature as a whole, like mother nature. And that if we are in sync with nature's rhythm, then we will be healthier or our healthiest. And that also includes our own inner nature. So there's a concept within Ayurveda called the macrocosm microcosm continuum, which essentially means that we are mini replicas of the universe or of nature and that anything that happens in nature happens within us and vice versa. So given that founding principle, I think that's the first most important thing to note when we're describing Ayurveda to people is that it's based in nature. And as you would guess, then a lot of the the focus, though we have practices for healing and remedies for different conditions, there's a strong focus on prevention and health maintenance. Um, The next thing that's really important to mention is that it recognizes everyone as an individual. And this also relates to nature because nature, everything in in nature is essentially unique. If you think about it, it snowed here where I live the other day. And we always think like every snowflake is unique. And everything in nature, though unique, is all made of the same five elements. So ether, air, fire, water, and earth, and ether is also called space. So space, air, fire, water, and earth, 
those five elements are in everything. They're in everyone. But what you see is that they have different expressions or different quantities. And that's the same within us. So you might know someone that you describe as spacey or airy or fiery or earthy. And you're not just saying that necessarily about their mental tendencies or their attitude, but that's also describing their physiology. And because we vary in that way, it means our needs are also different. So that's kind of the bit, like if you said in the, in the easiest way possible, because you're right, it is such a vast system. There are also branches um, within the system, like there are in our Western medicine. But I think those are like the key points to know, to start with at least. Oh, absolutely fascinating. And and the branches, the branches are so fascinating that they, they came from such a long time ago, but they have always had uh, psychology, uh, pediatrics, I mean, even human sexuality. They really had the, the most far-sighted way of seeing things millennia before Western doctors knew it was a good idea to wash your hands between surgery and childbirth. I mean, astonishing. And I also love the trivia that the surgeon who invented the nose job (laughs) was an Ayurvedic doctor from long, long ago. So you talked about these different uh, ways that people show up in the world. So could you explain to us the three doshas? Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the five elements and the elements really when we're talking about the elements and how they present in us as humans, as people, we talk about them as doshas and doshas are also known as constitutions. So these doshas are each, there are three doshas and each dosha is made of two elements. So sometimes it is nice to get to know the elements first and then to understand what that means as a dosha. So we have the three doshas, which are vata, pitta, kapha. And I should mention first with this, that the most important thing is that we have all of them. So I said, we have all of the elements within us. And if each of the doshas is made of two elements, we also then have all of the doshas. The doshas also represent different things that happen in our body, whether it's a function such as movement or transformation or protection or growth. And they also govern different organs and tissues in the body. So we have to say that we have all of these, but like the elements that we have varying degrees of expression, these doshas are also in varying amounts. So we might have someone who is of the vata constitution or vata dosha, which would mean that they are more predominantly ether and air, or you might have a more pitta-like person, which is like fire and water. And then there's also kapha, which is water and earth. And of the three, what can happen is we actually get seven different possibilities from these three doshas in terms of how they might describe us. Because I could say that I am predominantly one in the sense that one of those is so strong in me that though I have the other two, my physical characteristics, my mental tendencies and so forth really are impacted by one dosha predominantly and the other two still there, but 
we're not going to really have to worry about their influence as much. But you could also be dual doshik. So you could have two that are of the same amount or same expression within you, which would mean instead of saying that you are, let's say, a vata, that you're a vata pitta. And then in the rarest of cases, you have someone that has the same degree of all three of the constitutions, and we call those people tridoshic. And just what are you, just so we know, I feel like we just met and I'm asking your astrological sign. <laughs> yeah, so I am pitta predominant, and that definitely shows up most in me, um, especially in my mental tendencies. Um, pitta people, so remember that this is the it is fire and water, but I think the more direct route to understanding Pitta is to say fire. So think of fire in the mind. Um, so on maybe what we might reflect as more of a positive side, there's a little um, more drive in terms of achievement, maybe a little more detail oriented, or um, in fact, we call it sharp. We call fire sharp. So there could be sharpness of the mind. That also could mean sharpness of the tongue. And it could mean that that person, when not feeling balanced, is more prone to our sharper emotions like anger or being critical, whether that's self-critical or critical of others or judgmental and so forth. Um, so I am much more of of pitta constitution, but when it comes to what my secondary is, both the vata and the kampa are relatively high in me. I am not tridoshic. Um, when we look at these different constitutions and we talk about someone's dosha, and you say, you know, tell me what your dosha is, what you're asking someone is, what have you been? since conception. So this is important because you say, you know, what it what is your constitution and I say I'm predominantly pitta. What that tells you and tells me is sort of what my blueprint for life and health would be like. So when you say it's kind of like asking someone's astrological sign, um it's very similar but but different than astrology we have a strong, strong focus on the body as well as the mind. And that constitution, that dosha never changes. So once a pitta, always a pitta. But it is possible that throughout one's life, you can have imbalances. So this means something has accumulated higher than what it, what it naturally exists. And that would mean then you have an imbalance. And that could be in any of the constitutions. So if you ask me, like, what is your dosha? I'll tell you, I'm pitta predominant. What is my imbalance? Typically more vata-like. <laughs> so it's a little different when we talk um, dosha versus imbalance. Yes. So I know that something that's also of a lot of interest to you is what I kind of think of as the generic Ayurveda. Nothing's really uh, generic here because everything is personalized. And yet there, there is a daily clock. There is a seasonal calendar and there's even a lifetime plan that affects everybody regardless of their dosha makeup. And I know you're really an expert on these cycles and seasons and the rituals that we can perform during them. So you want to start with the, the daily clock? For sure. 
So the daily clock, the Ayurvedic clock, is very similar to our circadian clock. And I tell you this so that you can just start start thinking in that capacity and start understanding that we were meant to sleep at night and during certain hours. Does it mean that we have the inability to sleep during the day? No, but it's healthiest for us to sleep during the day. And that's often during when we think about, or sorry, yeah, during the night. So when we think about our circadian, circadian rhythm, we usually think sleeping. Uh, we don't think about things like how well can we focus? How, how creative are we at a certain time of day? What's our hand-eye coordination like? Um, what time should we be eating? And so the Ayurvedic clock, though the circadian clock also talks about this, the Ayurvedic clock talks about this, and it talks about it with relation to the elements and the doshas. So we have these different time frames that occur uh, twice. So we have, for example, the vata time of day, which is from two to six. And I'm just going to kind of run through this and I'll circle back. So we have from 2 to 6, both a.m. and p.m., the vata time of day. So that's our airy time of day. We have the um, from 6 to 10, the kapha time of day, the more watery, earthy, the heavier time of day, Both again, both a.m. and p.m. And then from 10 to 2 is our fiery time of day. It's the pitta time of day. And we can use this to our advantage by understanding, and you don't have to learn everything about Ayurveda for this to work for you. And like you said, that there, there are many practices in Ayurveda that you don't have to know what your dosha is to apply Ayurveda. But if you know a little bit about a quality of air, for example, air is very light, air is very mobile, air is cold, it's dry, it's rough. And those qualities are reflected in those times of day, in the vata time of day, between two and six. So the same thing, of course, would be true of fire and the fiery qualities, fire being hot and sharp and also light, and then kapha being our heavier, stable, so it's not mobile, and um, it's also called dull, it could be warm, it could be cool, those times of day. So by quality, what this means is that in the morning, we are before six o'clock, uh, and this will seem like such a stretch going from saying vata is light and we're in the vata time of day, but around the six o'clock hour, sometime between six and seven, in fact, would be the natural time for us to have a bowel movement. So we have to be awake, right? We have to get up, and Ayurveda would say get up with the sun, or um, in some cases, even before the sun. And that's so that you can make sure that you are in the right, let's say, frame of mind for the different activities that should take place at that day, at that time of day. So we talk about um, this being a good time for our meditation practices. Like I said, it's the prime time to wake up and have a, a bowel movement um, when we might start to jumpstart our digestive tract. What it is not typically for us is a good time to focus because that time of day is light. So from 6 to 10, then we get into the kapha time of day. Kapha is heavier. So this makes this time of day 
better for things like physical activity, manual labor. We have better endurance this time of day, both physical and mental. So you might naturally find that it's easier for you to focus on a task between six and 10. Um, between 10 and two is our fiery time of day. And fire is something that also represents our digestion. So the peak time, the biggest meal should be had between the time of 10 and two, so our lunch being the biggest meal, because our digestive fire is the strongest. And then from two to six, we start the cycle all over again. So what you might find is from two to six, you might hit a time of day where it's difficult for you to focus. Maybe you hit an energy slump. From six to 10, we should really be starting to wind down for, for bed. We don't wanna have a heavy meal at that time because that's a heavier time of day. And then be sleeping by 10 o'clock so that the processes that we need to have happen in our body while we're sleeping, which happen to do a lot with our body's natural detoxification and restoration, can actually take place. So that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot, but you get used to it. Now, I have a question, though. We are coming up for people who are listening live or listening quickly to, to the podcast to the Daylight Savings Change Weekend. Is this just going to mess everybody up? It sure will. <laughs> it sure will. But you can start to make slow changes. And that's something Ayurveda in anything that we're talking about, Ayurveda always says, make slow changes. Now I know that an hour time frame is not a slow change, right? You don't just automatically say, well, it's an hour different, so I'm going to change my bedtime. But to start thinking about it differently and to make gradual shifts as we're approaching that time. So maybe having your lunch a little bit, um, let's see, we're falling back, right? The time, right? <laughs> time change is going back. So, you know, we'd start to have our lunch maybe a little, would I say earlier? Um, and just starting to, to get our body used to that rhythm. And sure, it, it's going to take time. And I think it will probably take around two weeks for it, for someone to really feel like they've fully integrated into the time change. But it's really no different than integrating into an, you know a, a time zone change. It's kind of like jet lag. So the idea is like, get, get on the boat, <laughs> get with the cycle, do the best you can. If you fall back, just try to get right back on track with it. I, well, I look forward to doing that. I'm kind of doing 15 minute intervals uh, <laughs> already mm -hmm. to see if it can happen a little bit more smoothly this year than uh, often. We have some uh, announcements, and so we're going to have to take a pause here, and we will be back right after all of this interesting information from the good people at Unity Online Radio, and we'll get into more of those cycles and routines and rituals and yummy, yummy ways to stay really, really healthy. We will be back.
Human Design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum Human Design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. Just for your notes and edification, my guest is Dr. Sarah Kuchara, and the book is The Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. It is sweet. It's a wonderful book for yourself and for people on your holiday gift list. You can also find Dr. Kuchera at Sarah with an H, Kuchera, K-U-C-E-R-A dot com. And on Instagram at Sarah underscore Kuchera. And we will put all of that, of course, in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So, Dr. Sarah, you just finished telling us about the daily class. Clock, but there's a seasonal clock too. What do we do with that one? So we were supposed to be living in coordination with the seasons, right? And this makes sense when you learn a little more about this in that we change our clothes really naturally with the season, right? So we respond to changes in weather, changes in temperature um, and what's happening. You know, if it's snowing or raining, we'll do different things. But for some reason, we're more reluctant to think about things like seasonal eating or changing the amount of food that we consume or the times of day that we might consume food. But those things are really important um, when we talk about the change in seasons. And as I was saying that the elements have different qualities, which means the times of day have different qualities, the seasons also have different qualities. And what our aim is, is to attempt to balance or to bring balance to those seasons by incorporating their opposing qualities. So the season that we are in currently, we're in fall. This is the Vata season. It's the season of air. And you can feel that in the sense that everything starts to feel a little bit lighter. We feel drier, even though the leaves are dry, the air is dry and there's more mobility in the air. So what we would do to find balance during the season is incorporate things like adding more oil as oil is the opposing quality of dry. So whether that's in our diet or using it externally, we might also choose to do more grounding practices. So instead of a vigorous workout, maybe we do more restorative yoga or more yin yoga or like a Tai Chi practice or some kind of slower mindful movement in attempt again to find a a balance between what's happening in our environment 
so that it doesn't accumulate within us so that we don't become dry. We don't become mobile in our mind. And, um, you know, when we do that, and of course, each season has its qualities, uh, we're less likely to become sick because we will avoid some of those more uh, basic imbalances. So even just talking about dry skin, if my skin is dry, you may not go to a, a physician if you have dry skin, but it's important to note because if you don't have a protective barrier between your skin and let's say um, some kind of irritant like a, a virus or a bacteria or an allergen, you're more susceptible to that. And that's just one example. But that's how the seasons work, that we want to look at what food is available in the season because what the earth is providing is typically of um, those balancing qualities. So in the fall, we have heavier food, which brings balance to the light season, versus in the spring, we have drier, astringent, bitter foods, which brings balance to what feels like a heavier or wet season. And then of course, in the summer, being the hotter season, the food that occurs naturally is more cooling to the body. So those are how the different cycles of the seasons work. This is so interesting in terms of how we get almost addicted to ideas like, but you have to do cardio all year long. That, that's yeah. what you, you have to do. And, you know, a lot of people are very convinced of that. And, and I must say, when you said the thing just now about, you know, maybe just restorative yoga, it's like, I can't do just restorative yoga. So I it, dare you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, so just to kind of give you something related to that, the female menstrual cycle, like we have so many cycles in our lives and in our bodies and in our minds and the female, the menstrual cycle is something that also we could represent as Vata, Pitta, Kapha. And even with that, if I have someone who's having a lot of premenstrual symptoms, I might look and see like, you know, what activities are you do doing when you're ovulating? What activities are you doing when you're menstruating? What, what's, post-menstruation like for you because those sim those symptoms may actually be aggravated and in some case caused by the activity that they're doing which is tough it's hard to know that but you're right like we just are programmed to think and in some cases programmed to think more is better but activity always good but it's it's the type that really matters and and then we're not even talking about what is it like from person to person or a healthy person versus one that really has to address something. So there's a lot of complexity to this as, as also as simple as this sounds, because I'm using the words like dry and oily, which is so simple, but there are many, many layers to this. Yeah. So how about the lifetime clock? We can be in Kapha, Pitta and Vata year yes. for years. <laughs> yes, yes. So when we're born, we are born into the kapha stage of life. This is our water and earth stage. And kapha is responsible in terms of like a major function is growth and lubrication and protection. 
And it's also immunity. So if you think about from birth to puberty, that's the main time when those things are happening for us. And even just in terms of what we look like in that age has a little bit more of a Kappa-like appearance where we might have a little baby fat. We're starting to kind of grow into our um, our structure and our bodies as, as they will be as an adult. So our appearance even looks a little bit more like the water and earth elements. And when we come into um, puberty, so from puberty to menopause or for men, any changes in hormone for them at that stage, that is our pitta time. That's the fiery time. And fire as a function, the pitta function in the body, the primary function is transformation. So you can, again, see how that time frame is a big time of transformation for us, not just hormonally, though that is like one of the main reasons, but also just the that phase of life, whether you are getting married or having children, or um, if you have a big focus on your job or your career and, you know, moving, buying houses, like there's so much happening during that time. And then we get into the Vata stage of life, which is any, the time frame after um, menopause, or like I said, like what we call manopause, the um, male hormonal changes, where we are in the Vata stage of life. And that is our light time, which is why we see at that age, we tend to lose more fat, we lose some of our supportive um, cushion and structure and have more conditions that are related to deterioration because that is what the wind or the air element can do in nature as well as kind of like an erosion that happens. And we work with those. I, I've, I've, it's been fascinating to me since I'm predominantly Vata and now I'm in the Vata time of life. And what used to be like, ooh, I think that's a Vata thing every now and then I would notice. And now it's like, I live in Vata. <laughs> I work with Vata. This is my life. And what that means in a very practical level, certainly for, for me as I have embraced this more fully than ever, is just keeping warm and drinking warm beverages. And I actually figured out and stopped blaming myself for the fact that for years, every morning, I used to go to Starbucks and get one of those chai teas. And then when I found out how much sugar was in it, I was absolutely horrified and stopped. But when I think now what I was actually doing was pacifying my vata, it was hot and it was creamy from the almond milk. And yes, it was sweet, which pacifies vata, although you don't have to do it with refined sugar. And it was full of those healing spices that are so good for vata, like the nutmeg and cardamom and allspice and cinnamon and clove and all that. So instead of now being angry with my former self that, that I had this sweet problem, was like no I was going for healing and now of course I know how to do that 
without the sugar. So it's, it's an amazing, amazing system. And sometimes these little things can be so powerful. So just in our last 15 minutes, I want to ask you about some of the more controversial elements. This is going to be a little bit more for listeners who are familiar with Ayurveda, but still have some problems. So first, let's just get the tractor trailer out of the room, which is ghee, which is clarified butter. Ayurveda likes it. As a vegan, I'm not going to use that. Just tell me that I won't be kicked out of Ayurveda. <laughs> you will not be kicked out of Ayurveda. I also am, ve- am vegan. Um, Ayurveda, though, it comes from India, and we we know that there are a lot of vegetarians in India and also vegans. It, Ayurveda really promotes this idea that anything can be good for you and anything can be bad for you. So it, it's not to say that if you choose to exclude something that you can't be healthy. But to talk about ghee for a moment, and I will also tell you that I went through a phase where I would call myself a gegan instead of a vegan because I was eating a vegan diet, but I would occasionally incorporate ghee because of the healing properties that Ayurveda talks about. So like you said, ghee is clarified butter and it doesn't have the milk solids. So that's been cooked out of it and separated from it. And it is incorporated to things that we might use both internally um, as food, as our in different herbal medications, and then also externally in that same capacity. So ghee is actually, when we look at from from a more like a a research standpoint, instead of just saying, you know, Ayurveda said to use this 5,000 years ago, ghee has one of the highest levels of conjugated linoleic acids. And that high level is good for things like immune function. It's good for um, like maintaining your metabolism, healthy uh, liver function. And it's also good at helping, and this sounds backwards, I know, but it's helping you, it's really good at helping your body metabolize fat. And I say that sounds backwards because ghee is fat, it's an oil. But that's one of the things that um, ghee, when we look at the science, is really is really good at doing. And then the other thing, which is even more important when we relate it to Ayurveda, Ayurveda is really into making sure that our digestive system is working optimally. And ghee also has butyric acid, which is something that the, the bacteria in our gut makes naturally. And so as we consume ghee, we can actually help create a really healthy microbiome. So it's not, it's not the same as taking like a probiotic, but it has a similar effect in terms of keeping our digestive system really healthy. So no, you're not kicked out of the Ayurveda club if you don't choose to use it. But in Ayurveda, everything has a purpose and it's not always a one-to-one exchange. Like if you were baking cookies and changing it from, um, like changing it to a vegan recipe from a non-vegan recipe. So there are different medicinal, medicinal qualities that you can get from ghee that won't come from another oil. 
Well, thank you for that explanation. I, I always say that to me, being Ayurvedic and a vegan is like being Roman Catholic and using birth control. You know that you're disobeying a rule, but you're doing what's right for you. So I feel like I'm doing what's right for me and for the cows. And I must say that it still works. I mean, it's just, I don't use ghee and everything that I'm doing in Ayurveda has, you know, I, I don't want to be so dramatic as to say changed my life but definitely given me a measurable amount of, of greater vitality, better sleep, better digestion. I just, you know, I can't speak highly enough of it. So uh, now if, if we did the great big tractor trailer in the room, let's just do the kind of pickup truck in the room, which is oil. Ayurveda likes oil internally and externally. And a, a lot of people that I have had on this program and respect highly, uh, the whole food, plant-based, no oil folks, they're fine with putting it on your skin, but they don't want you to put it in your mouth. Ayurveda sees things differently. Give us the Ayurvedic point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, oil, we also call oil sneha, which also means love. And the quality of oil, especially if you're using oil externally, is a, it, it, when you say you're going to do an, a self-oil massage, that's the, the equivalent of self-love. So oil has properties to it, like I was talking about with ghee, that we might look as, um, you know, breaking it down and looking at the different constituents of it. But there's also um, the, the quality of it being heavy, it being the opposite of dry. And it's a very grounding component. So the reason why oil is essential, one reason, is for the qualities that it, it possesses that doesn't have anything to do with certain acids or anything like that, but rather like how oil can make one feel. Another thing that I would say is probably a really big deal, and this would have a little bit more to do with using oil externally as well, has to do with it being a carrier for herbs. So yes, we could use base oils on our skin or use base oils in our ears or in our nose. And that is, you know, we put oil everywhere. If there's a place to put oil, there's oil in it or on it. <sighs> um, <laughs> and it's often, you know, it can be a carrier for herbs, which would then amplify whatever effect you're trying to get from the oil itself. So there's, again, not really, if you're, oil is very balancing to vata. And vata is ether and air, if you remember. And our society is like vata. And as you said, it's like, gosh, I'm recognizing all of these vata tendencies. And I think we all are. Like, we're all a little bit uprooted. There are some things that we could sort of name as being a little bit harmful to that. And kind of just as a culture, we push and we push and we push. Oil is slow and our society wants us to move fast and oil is heavy and our society wants us to be light. So whether that's internally or externally, it's providing the, the opposition of that, which is also helpful for balance. Makes perfect sense. And people who are listening who are saying, 
I do not use oil. I will never use oil. That is another wonderful thing about Ayurveda. You can still do all the rest. You can do all these seasonal things. You can do the the daily routine and just get so, so much. You already feel amazing. Well, you can feel even more so. So there is a concept in Ayurveda, Sarah, that has fascinated me from the first time I heard about it because it's that essence of of vitality, um, charisma, attractiveness, and health. And it's called ojas. How do we get more of it? (laughs) We want as much of it as we can get. Because as you say, it is our vitality. I always call it our health reserve. So if you think of it as a savings account um, of immunity, for example, You want to build that. You want that to have a lot of stores because you want to be able to tap into that if need be. So if you are feeling run down and you don't have the reserves at the ready, it's, it's not as helpful. So you want to have a backup. You want to have that extra tank that you can rely on. Ojas is a result of the formation of the seven different tissues in the body. So those tissues have to form properly for ojas to form properly but there are specific things that you can do um, and eat that help to build ojas and those are things like having fun being with people that you love taking breaks relaxing having a a non-productive day a goal-free day it could also mean having um, an herb called shatavri an herb called ashwagandha Um, dates are really good at building ojas almond milk specifically homemade almond milk is really great at building ojas you could even combine some of those you could make an almond milk and put some dates in it and maybe even add a little bit of an herb to that and make like a an ojas drink um, to help build ojas and then ghee is also said to help build um uh so that's another i guess argument on the four ghee side. But like I said, there are so many other things. So if you're choosing to not have ghee, you could have dates instead. I mean, the kind you eat, not the kind you go on, but, (laughs) but I guess those are also important too, right? (laughs) Yeah. You don't know how important till a pandemic happens. (laughs) That's correct. (laughs) So I, I love that idea. And it's, to me, if, if I'm understanding right, it's also connected to this concept of Rasayana, the idea that maybe there is kind of sort of a fountain of youth. Is there? You're right. Rasayana means rejuvenation and rasa means juice or nectar. And rasa as a tissue means our plasma or our lymph. And that's the first thing when we talk about tissue formation, it's the first thing that forms as a series of a cascade um, of different tissues. So rasayana not only feeds the first tissue of rasa, which is the root of rasayana, but it also rejuvenates all of our tissues. And, And of course, then a rasayana also helps to increase ojas because at the end of all that tissue formation is ojas. And one of our more well-known rasayanas is actually a jam called chavanprash. 
um, which has a lot of different herbs and spices in it. But there are also a lot of other herbs, like shatavari could be considered a rasayana, um, ashwagandha could be considered a rasayana. And then you're going to see that they are very much related, like I said, to ojas. But it's this idea of rejuvenating all of your tissues at the same time. And Shavan Prost always has some ghee at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am... Well, I'm not going to say obsessed, but I am somewhat interested <laughs> in somebody's coming up with a vegan Chavon Prosh. So if that's of interest to you, Dr. Sarah Kuchera, <laughs> or anybody listening, like there's a vegan business idea nobody has thought of yet. Um, I think it may be in the work. I do actually think that I had spoken with someone who was working on it because the other thing, you're right, it's, it's in Chavon Prosh. But Chavan Prash is also made from amalaki. That's one of the other key ingredients. So I think that there is on the horizon um, another like amalaki jam that would be a rasayana that would not have ghee in it. That is Let's absolutely <laughs> I don't need another business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so just in our last, oh gosh, two and a half minutes, I just want to ask you a really practical question. How do we make all of this work in the real world? I know we didn't have time. I'd love to have you back again to talk about all the things that, for example, in the morning, it's a great idea to do. Well, you know, that can mean you're late to work. So how do we balance self-care and the real world? First, you have to look at what is most important to you. So if you don't think that using a tongue cleaner is going to be important for you, or you just have a natural aversion to using oil or dry brushing, then I wouldn't start with that. I would start with something that feels like it is a stepping stone to what your health goals are. And in addition to that, what feels natural to you? So if you're not naturally an early riser, I would not try to get up extra early to do all of these different routines in the morning, but look at, you know, what can you do that might be second best? Could you use your dry brush in the evening instead? Is there something else that you could do at a different time of day? So it's really what aligns with you and what feels natural to you because none of this is meant to be rigid or stressful. What what a beautiful explanation. <laughs> it, it really is a gift, and, and you you are a gift, Dr. Sarah Kuchera. You mentioned that we're at the beginning of Vata season now, so I'd love to invite you back at the beginning of Pitta season, and uh, or I guess is Kapha coming next. That's right, Kapha is uh, the late winter, so hopefully we can uh, get that arranged. So thank you so much again. Uh, Dr. Sarah's website is Sarah with an H, Kusera, K-U-C-E-R-A dot com. And the enchanting book with ribbon bookmark is the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. So thanks so much to our lovely guest. Thanks to Jeff Comfort, our wonderful engineer, and to everybody at Unity Online Radio. And thanks absolutely most to you for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies.
Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.